0: Hello, and welcome to the first edition of Thinks, Trends, and Takeaways, your quarterly information security research review. My name is Jacob Torrey, head of Thinks Labs, and I'll be your host today. Thinks, Trends, and Takeaways is a show released in conjunction with Thinkscapes, a written quarterly review of information security research published in both industry and academic venues. Thinks Labs allocates time to tracking industry research so you don't have to, specifically looking for novel and unusual work that is impactful. This is not simply a report on bugs or vulnerabilities. Work covered here today will include both offensive and defensive topics, and we explore academic publications with the same gusto as industry work. Our target listeners are primarily security practitioners and organizations who are tasked with defending their turf, but offensive-minded folks will also be exposed to new ideas and research we've come across. The last Thinkscapes was published in 2016, and the world today is a very different place. For this comeback edition, we've settled on an intermediate coverage period that's longer than a quarter, but doesn't extend back five years. We're going to cover what's happened during a little thing called COVID-19. In addition to the move to virtual presentations, other changes have emerged in information security since the release of the last Thingscape in 2016. Five years is a long time in our world, and in this time, the industry has seen significant shifts. In particular, the rise of speculative execution vulnerabilities and attacks has had a major impact on shared services, cloud computing, and has undone decades of microarchitectural optimizations. An entire new industry in the form of cryptocurrency security has taken root, with rampant attacks seen and specialist skills required to audit and test smart contracts. Machine learning continues to rise in practical use, with both attacks and defense work following. Containers and container orchestration have elbowed their way into production networks around the world, necessitating hard examinations of these new attack services. The dominance of client-side exploitation has faded as sustained effort on parts of the browser and operating system vendors drive up the difficulty and hence cost of compromise. This has led to renewed interest in server-side vulnerabilities and attacks. New web hacking techniques, once all the rage, are now infrequent and the cloudification of core services like authentication, mail, and identity management, once considered unthinkable, is now commonplace, leading to whole new classes of vulnerabilities, such as Golden SAML, malicious Office 3065 applications, and more. In reviewing the over 1,000 talks to compile the list for this show, three core themes have emerged. Deeper and more impactful embedded security research, complex systems expanding the odds of broken assumptions, and high-quality defense research. Each I'm going to briefly describe. Embedded security research. Security research into embedded devices and other low-level system targets has certainly had its ups and downs, from being dismissed as junk hacking to the spate of recent microarchitectural or speculative execution attacks. This theme is noteworthy as research demonstrated the increased impact of embedded and low-level security research. No longer are the vulnerable devices cheap IoT endpoints, They are now embedded in our computers, mobile devices, and the critical infrastructure that we all depend on. Research in this area showed the potential for significant impact from their discoveries, including a number of remote attacks on embedded devices. It is safe to say these papers will not be easy to dismiss. Exploiting differences of opinion. At every bug's core lies some broken assumption or misinterpretation. The works highlighted in this theme show how broadly these differentials in understanding can impact security. From HTTP2, downgrades reallowing desynchronization attacks to cross-physical modality pivots that trigger unexpected results, these papers show how complexity of systems in common use expand the number of interfaces exponentially where these confusions can occur. And finally, defense. Defensive research is hard to evaluate in a repeatable and meaningful way. Did it take the red team longer to move through a network due to defensive improvements, or were they simply having an off day? Attackers can be dynamic, adaptive, and creative. It is difficult in defense to find the intersection of a realistic threat model, empirical evaluation, and high-impact outcomes. Talks in this section cover research from real-world defenses against in-the-wild machine learning attacks versus the theoretical back-and-forth in academic literature, to scaling static analysis across repositories and languages, to the results from building an entire fake factory and corporate entity as a high-interaction honeypot. And finally, with so many great talks and papers to choose from, there were a number that the editors felt should be highlighted but didn't directly fit into any of the aforementioned themes. Please enjoy listening to or reading about everything from attacks on privacy coins, to user experience studies of reverse engineer tools, to good old fashioned exploitation of email servers with a twist. Now we get into the meat of this edition. For each published research we highlight in Thinkscapes, we summarize the work and conclude with some takeaways. The remainder of the show will be a sentence or two for the work and the takeaways. The full cited works list is in the show notes, as well as available in greater depth with more insights in the Thinkscape's report. The report can be found at thinks.com slash TS free of charge. All right, let's dive into the embedded security talks. The first talk in this theme was from the legendary Bunny Huang, who famously published the Hacking the Xbox manual. This time, he's taking aim at fixing the hardware supply chain problem. His work on Precursor, effectively aimed at delivering verifiable hardware through FPGAs instead of system-on-chips. It's still early work and has some shortcomings, but it's nice to see smart people aiming technical solutions at the problem over relying on pure policy. Next, we move to a tour of eBPF exploitation, with Valentina's blog post titled, Kernel Poning with eBPF, a love story. Now, normally, we don't usually cover exploits, but at Chompy 1337 did such a great write-up and eBPF is so popular we thought it was worth including. She covers the fundamentals of eBPF, shows off an exploit, and adds some thoughts on how to better debug these exploits going forwards. The team from Cmu at TU Darmstadt feature Next with their work on Internal Blue, Frankenstein, and Spectra. They were exploring the implicit trust boundaries internal to a mobile device's radio and had good results in finding bugs. I love this work because they released the tooling, opening this hidden world to others. They also highlighted one of my favorite nuances, that shared resources at times cause not only side channels, but can also drive vendors to create new out-of-band management planes, such as the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth spectrum management channel exploited by this team. Speaking of tooling for embedded analysis, the next paper was work by Clements et al. titled Hallucinator. Hallucinator mines the SDKs, software libraries, and hardware abstraction layers from hardware vendors to automatically re-host a raw firmware image onto an emulator, like QEMU, allowing for dynamic and static analysis. This is important because tools like Hallucinator allow for automation and scaling of vulnerability research on embedded firmwares, a segment of the software population with traditionally poor security, usually hidden by the manual effort needed upfront to instrument and analyze. As these tools become mainstream, expect growth in the number of embedded vulnerabilities discovered. Now, while these tools make the job of vulnerability researchers easier, there are still significant hurdles to overcome in how to deploy patches or even inform customers on the complex, multi-party embedded supply chains that run rampant through these types of devices. Presented at Black Hat in 2020, Daniel's TPM fail demonstrated both local and remote timing attacks against certain crypto functions on trusted platform modules, or TPMs, made by both Intel and STM allowing for recovery of TPM's private key, something that should never have happened. By configuring a VPN to use the TPM, these attacks could be replicated in a manner of hours remotely. This is some impressive work. TPMs are designed to be drop-in components and soon will be required by Windows 11 that add to the security of a system. Previous work has shown issues that can affect TPM but are mostly limited to physically invasive attacks. So it's great to now see the impact of timing attacks that can be done locally in software or even over the network. And that's really what's astonishing to me is that these timing attacks are reachable by the network. While the real world impact is limited, as these issues were not discovered on all the types of TPMs examined and requires a specifically configured VPN server, it is a timely reminder that the network of processors that make up modern computing systems are all likely to be targets. Next, we take a look at Microsoft's Virtual Secure Mode, or VSM, which is a new security feature in Windows 10 and newer that offers hypervisor protection for sensitive data. Research by Amara et al. into this capability uncovered multiple exploits against it, highlighting that bugs can and do exist anywhere. This work is great in that it provides early direction for future research into VSM, a new execution environment wildly deployed across both the client and the server markets. Our final paper in this section is a research project into the traffic that can be listened to on commercial satellite networks for roughly $300. Planes, ships, IoT devices, and more use these SATCOM links to communicate. And this work shows there's limited deployment of encryption, leaving sensitive information available to any who listen. This was nifty work and that demonstrated a man in the middle position on the ISP, which rarely presents themselves to non-nation state actors. It highlights that with SATCOM solutions, Trusting the connection from ISP to destination may not always be safe, even against less powerful adversaries. Moving on to exploiting differences of opinion. We start this section with James Kettle, who's back talking about attacking HTTP2 and the ambiguous downgrades to HTTP1, re-enabling request smuggling in the modern era. It's not as common these days to see novel web attacks, although they remain prevalent. What's interesting about this work is that the HTTP2 to HTTP1 downgrade process was ambiguous enough that many inconsistencies were discovered in multiple implementations. Speaking of inconsistencies, research by Woodruff et al into parser differentials of dynamic binary translation systems showed many instructions that are understood differently by different translators. The authors note that there's been a shift in how these systems are used. Once primarily for legacy emulation security research, now, these binary translation tools underpin major operating systems, like Mac OS's Rosetta, and the ability to deploy software across hardware architectures. I found this twist on fuzzing refreshing. Whereas traditional fuzzing relies on the notion that every application should not crash an in arbitrary input, this differential fuzzing allows for a more nuanced crafting of inputs that allow for the same input to be in understood differently by the different parsers. It may be that perimeters reliant on WAFs, AVs, and other analysis products become more permeable if you can tune the input to bypass one engine to strike at another. Speaking of bypassing perimeters, EtherOOPS by Ben Serial was research that took another look into the feasibility of a packet and packet attack against wired ethernet. They found that while still an unlikely attack, faulty ethernet cables are rarely considered an enabler for remote attack, and can and are left in production networks in practice. The impact of a successful five-frame injection is amplified when OT and legacy devices will rely on perimeter defenses for the foreseeable future. What was most impressive was how they used IPv6 DNS or proxy advertisements to weaponize a single packet injection. It goes to show that the interconnected and defaultly enabled IPv4 and V6 stacks add hidden complexity and allow for malicious effects even if the network is not designed to support dual stacks. Presented at USENIX Security 2020, work by Sugawara et al. showed that MEMS microphones using a bunch of voice-controllable systems, or VCSs, such as the Amazon Alexa range, Google Home devices, certain mobile phones, and more, can be triggered via lasers across distances of up to 110 meters. In other words, by converting an audio signal such as, OK Google, open the garage door, into a series of laser pulses, the microphone is activated through two different physical effects one photoelectric and the other photoacoustic. I think this was the most mission impossible type of attack we reviewed. And it's a great reminder that in the physical world, neat isolation is seldom achievable and an unexpected physical property can affect the security of any system. Moving into the hot area of adversarial AI, there were two adversarial AI papers we highlighted for this edition. One by Zhang et al into how to undermine the explainability layer built specifically to grow trust in machine learning powered systems, and one by Deloitte Japan and Reflare that showed how putting images rarely seen together in training prevents a classifier from seeing the object. For example, a stop sign in a bowl of fruit was undetected by many leading image classifiers. With some money for a billboard, an attacker could possibly throw off autonomous vehicle sensors based on this research. Both of these papers highlight that nowhere is the game of cat and mouse so clear as it is in adversarial ML. Seemingly, each defensive strategy is incorporated as an additional constraint to optimize against and retrain. Each attack is used to generate an adversarial training corpus to thwart that class of attack. Finally, for this theme, work by Stu et al. lay the foundation for research into Apple's wireless ecosystem, called Continuity. Continuity services bundle lots of eggs into a few central baskets and have thus far gotten away pretty unscathed from attacks against them. We think this space is interesting to attack, and it's sufficiently complicated to hide interesting problems. We'll be watching to see where this goes. Moving over to defense, we start this theme with work by Ja into watermarking data and machine learning models such the extraction or theft be detected. Rather than stick specific samples into the model that may never be extracted, this work subtly entangles a watermark into all of the model's responses, allowing a victim to prove theft. I really like this subtle approach, but it does rely on the data thief being an organization that cares about being named and shamed or at the very least, sued. Continuing the machine learning trend, Grant Ho et al.'s Hopper paper presented in USENIX Security 2021, is research into using machine learning to look for suspicious logins in large networks. Evaluation on real-world data from Dropbox showed promising results. On the defensive side, organizations with fewer legacy components result in cleaner data for training and classification of machine learning-based systems, furthering the security divide between legacy tails and modern stacks. My favorite part of this work was the notion of an alert budget. I think this is an excellent idea and should be part of the conversation when building monitoring to minimize alert fatigue. Charles Perrin built a full ICS, SCADA, and IT environment, then created a fake company complete with personas to deploy a high-interaction honeypot of a fake factory. What is interesting is that even with the high-fidelity, factory, operational technology environment, none of the multiple attackers who accessed the IT network pivoted in any significant way to the OT environment. While SCADA and ICS attacks make for good, scary stories, attackers aiming for OT effects are more sophisticated and likely have more focused targeting than a random manufacturer. I also found it surprising that the initial attack came almost two months after the honeypot was deployed, a surprising period of time for an internet-facing network with such vulnerabilities. Next in defense, this time AppSec, Facebook showed off their cross-language and repository static analysis and taint tracking system, and then deployed it at scale. Much of this was open source, so check it out. The big deal with this work is that until now, all major applications had black box components written in another language or framework that reduced analysis performance, either increasing the false positives or decreasing the true positive findings. And finally, we close with yet another adversarial AI work, but with a practical twist. As an academic field, adversarial AI is popular. This talk by Ariel Herbert Voss however, took a step back and reviewed the attacks seen in the wild and provided some more pragmatic defenses against contemporary AI attackers. The general guidance for folks deploying machine learning and concerned about adversarial attacks? Consider straightforward defenses before looking for complex solutions. I like this work because machine learning is one of the few areas in security in which industry generally lags behind academia. It's possible for the leading edge of academia to extend far beyond what's currently useful or seen in the wild, and a return to on-the-ground experience is refreshing. Finally, some nifty sundries. Looking at privacy cryptocurrencies, the attacks in this paper by Trammer et al. is not cryptography-focused, but instead are network responses, both the time of the responses and the content. Since cryptocurrencies rely on large peer-to-peer networks, the authors observe that it's possible to remotely link supposedly anonymous transactions to specific peers based on the timing and content of responses from the peers for a variety of reasons. I thought this paper was insightful. The network attacks will also pop up in overlay networks, such as peer-to-peer, and this hasn't received nearly as much attention, especially under the lens of privacy coins. Next, in an interview study by Votica and all, researchers worked with a population of malware reversers and vulnerability researchers to study the processes used by these groups in deconstructing software. Until now, very little focus has been applied on how reverse engineers or vulnerability researchers approach large unknown targets. While this work is interview-based and with a small sample size, it's interesting to see that the practitioners, even with different backgrounds and training, have similar methodologies. I personally find the mere existence of this work highlights the maturity of these fields. A decade ago, doing university surveys on reverse engineering or vulnerability research would be laughable. Now it's worthy of a top-tier academic venue paper. Two papers present methods to use a botnet for influence in parallel domains, the stock market and power market respectively. Each characterize the size of a botnet needed to have market scale impacts and work through various simulations to drive the point home. I think both of these papers highlight that attackers have shown increased sophistication in leveraging digital accesses for parallel benefits. Both papers show how markets can be weaponized by a nation state in a manner other than denial of service. Combining market manipulation with targeted denial of service of the checks and balances in these markets could trigger cascading failures, for example, bank runs or rolling blackouts. A paper by Mambretti et al. looked at the many of existing speculative execution attacks that typically are described as a way to leak sensitive information, primarily keys or passwords to further more conventional attacks. Using these primitives to roll back the mitigations that have finally become mainstream, such as stack canaries, allow for old-fashioned memory corruption attacks to once again achieve remote code execution. The reason I like this work is the viewpoint. While speculative execution attacks have been presented as a number of individual primitives, it's important to step back and examine how these primitives can be used in an overall attack. Next, Daniel Memon took a, a deep look at the security of WebAssembly, which is a compilation target for a number of unmanaged languages, for example, C or C++, to run either on a client browser or backend as a Node.js application. Despite strong claims of security by the WebAssembly designers, the researchers found that a number of exploit mitigations were removed, allowing both old attacks and enabling new primitives. It's important work because it highlights possible wrong assumptions. Vulnerabilities exist in the space between a programmer's assumptions or mental model for how the environment operates in reality. Rehosting an application in a markedly different environment is bound to expose novel exploitation possibilities. And finally, last but not least, we have Orange who who is involved in finding eight separate RCE attacks on Exchange Server over a period of only six months. These exploits led to the automated half attacks against Exchange Servers. This work was interesting because web application security seems to be stagnant with few new ideas, but the work shows that deep down in complex stacks such as exchanges CAS, there are HTTP requests to be found. Well done to Orange and shame on Microsoft for not paying any exchange bounties. Discounting on-prem vulnerabilities means there's an increased risk of exploits being sold privately. As the first issue of Thinkscapes in some years and the first audio version ever, the aperture was widened to cover work that may have been missed during the COVID-driven format change to virtual conferences. While there was a clear downward trend in the number of conferences and talks year over year as the pandemic and lockdowns hit, it remains to be seen what will happen as the world settles into a new normal. Four themes shown through the last year or so of work were highlighted. High-impact embedded research, complex systems and their interface weaknesses, real-world defense, and novel works and classes of their own. The next episode in Q4 of 2021 will focus more deeply on the content released worldwide in the coming quarter as opposed to a survey of over a years of content. Thank you very much for listening. This show is made possible by Thinks Canary. Know when it matters. To learn more, check out canary.tools.